Well, good morning. My name is Michael. I am one of the pastors at the church and uh, usually down the hall. Um, however, this summer, I've uh, this is my second opportunity. Apparently, I didn't offend enough of you last time I was in here this summer um, to warrant the three year absence as I did last. Uh, but we'll see what happens this morning. Um, as Donna said, I did um, recently rupture my Achilles tendon. And um, which is why I'm standing in the pulpit, because it's very uncomfortable for me to be up here. I'm a mover. Um, however, I'm kind of limited. Uh, and also I get to wear shorts, which none of you realize, except those of you sitting in a certain area. That's right. It looks like I'm just uh, the nightly news guy. Right. But behind the desk, um, there are shorts. So Matt gets to see my legs. Um, I will say that if you've ever thought about rupturing your Achilles tendon, I would not recommend it. Um, not a good injury to have, uh, but thank you for your, your prayers. Uh, and um, we are in the book of Acts, uh, as we have been this summer, as Donna mentioned earlier. And this is an amazing thing last week that we talked about was uh, Paul's conversion, if you will. Paul changing his his life from a devout religious Jew pursuing God with everything he had and then meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus and having his eyes revealed to a new understanding of what the gospel message truly was. Today we're going to do the same, but with Peter. And Peter's not necessarily one you would think, that guy needs to know the gospel message better. Right? I mean, he's the rock. Peter, the one whom Jesus said, I will build my church with you. You're the guy. You will take leadership when I'm gone. He isn't the, the type of person that you think, you know, he's not doing it right. Granted, he had his denial. But then after the death and resurrection, I think he got on board. And yet there was something that was still holding him back. It was history. Tradition. It was an understanding of a, a way of life that no longer applied to him. But you can't blame him, really, because he grew up in it. He was a Jew. He grew up knowing all that Jews know. He went to temple. A few weeks ago when I was in here, we talked about when Peter and John were going to the temple to pray, and the man uh, laying outside the temple gates cries out to them, and they heal him. We know that they were still following their Jewish traditions, even after they were believers in Jesus. And it was these Jewish traditions that kind of put a blind spot on Peter. In chapter 10 of the book of Acts, you have the story of Cornelius that Matt talked about not too long ago, an outsider, to use Matt's words. He was a Roman officer, a Gentile. No one from the Jewish community really would have interacted with him for various reasons. One, he was a Gentile. Two, he was a Roman official. But they never would have had any kind of interaction with him. But he was a man who loved God. He loved God, he worshipped God, he prayed to God, and he followed God by serving others, by using his power and his wealth to help those in need. And as it says in the account, the Jews around where he lived took notice, and he was well respected. 
One night, Cornelius has a, a visitor, an angel, comes to see him. And he tells him that he needs to send for this man named Peter, who is living currently in Joppa with Simon the leather worker on the shore. Tell him to come back and to give you a message. From Cornelius' standpoint, angel, pretty big deal, but sending someone to go get Peter, not a big deal. So he sends two servants and a soldier to Joppa to retrieve Peter. Verse 9, chapter 10, says this. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the city, Peter went up to the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while lunch was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, and kill and eat them. Never, Lord, Peter declared. I I have never in all my life eaten anything forbidden by our Jewish laws. The voice spoke again. If God says something is acceptable, don't say it isn't. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was pulled up again to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found the house and stood outside at the gate. They asked if this was the place where Simon Peter was staying. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Go down and go with them without hesitation. All is well, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, We were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout man who fears the God of Israel and is well respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to send for you so you can go to his house and give him a message. So Peter invited the men to be his guests for the night. The next day he went with them, accompanied by some other believers from Joppa. The fact that Peter allowed these men into his home is astounding, because no Jew ever would have done that. The fact that Peter went with them to Cornelius' home is amazing, because no Jew would have done that. When he arrives at Cornelius' house, he goes immediately inside. Cornelius falls at his feet, and Peter says, Get up, I'm just a man like you. This interaction is astounding because no Jew would have had this type of interaction. No good Jew. And Peter was a good Jew. So Peter goes on to deliver this message of the gospel. And Cornelius, his family his friends whom he had gathered together to hear this man, Peter, all came to know Christ. And the Holy Spirit, it says, descends upon them. And Peter instructs his disciples to baptize them. All of this because Peter was willing to have a new understanding of what the gospel message was all about. See, Peter lived his life in such a way that was formed by his past. He was taught that there are certain foods you eat and certain ones you stay away from because they would make you unclean. There are certain people that you can talk with, touch, and certain ones that you do not because they would make you unclean, unworthy to be in the presence of God. There are certain things you can do and certain things you can't do. There are many laws that would determine a Jew's life, what is acceptable to God and what is not. 
And yet Peter's vision changes this. This sheet that descends upon the roof with all of these animals who he had been taught from birth. Don't eat these. These will make you unclean. God says, can anything I make be unclean? Anything that I have created, is it unworthy of me? Peter's new understanding was that the gospel message was not just for Gentiles, or for Jews, but it was for the Gentiles as well. It was for all of God's children. Roman officials, everyone. It was a new understanding and a new way of life that allowed him to meet with Cornelius and to change Cornelius' life forever. 2,000 years later, we still need a new understanding. We continue to need to hear the gospel message in a new way because a lot of times we get locked down in our understanding of it and think that that is the only right understanding of the message of Christ. Yet so often we judge. We judge our neighbors, our family members, our friends, people we have no knowledge of them, but we judge them. I judge. I judge my neighbor. And not the metaphorical neighbor that you might be thinking of, but I judge my actual physical, he lives right next door to me, neighbor. He waters illegally. Yeah. It drives me nuts. He only does it in his backyard where he has this ginormous fence that is double-sided so you can't actually see into the backyard. And what you might be thinking right now is, Michael, how do you know that he's watering illegally then? I'm glad you asked that because our bedroom sits in such a way that we can see down into his backyard. Not all of it, but we can see quite a bit of it and see the lush, beautiful green grass of which I would love to take my shoes off and run around in. And I see the water going on Saturdays, on days I know are not his day to water. I see the fence saturated with water so much so that it changes color because apparently he wants his fence to grow even larger. Thank you, I thought that was pretty good too. And, and, and it just makes me so... Angry. I have to tell you that this is, in, I mean, talk about a trivial issue in life, but for me, this one really gets me. Because I look out at my yard, and I follow the law, and it looks bad. <laughs> but I water the day that I'm told to water. I mean, water's a pretty big deal, right? The reason that we're in these kind of stages is because it's a, an important resource for our lives. I mean, yards are one thing, but drinking's another. And we need this water. And so it just, it's one of those things that, that's actually how I, I burst my Achilles tendon, is I was running after somebody who was watering illegally. It's, <laughs> you can't do And it gets me so upset that I go and I tell Jenna this, and, and Jenna, um, the sweet woman that she is just listens to me and then walks away um, without saying a word because she's heard it so often. And this morning as I was sitting there and watching him water, this morning, 
going back and forth, um, this oscillating thing, the bane of my existence. I, I see it and I, and I realize that it's almost as if it's a sheet descending from heaven with these animals on it. I realized that I had locked myself into this interpretation of I'm following this law correctly. He's not. I'm better than he is. And he's not worthy. He's unclean. And I am squeaky clean. But as this sheet descends upon his backyard and I see these things, I hear God say, Really? How often do you water illegally? How often do you do something that's contrary to you know the will of mine is? How often do you say things that injure people's hearts or minds, but you think they're funny? How often do you do something that turns someone away from me? See, what Paul and Peter needed to understand was this grace and mercy-filled gospel message. And I think from time to time, I get so locked in my righteous way that I need to understand it as well. Because here's the sad part about my neighbor, is I don't know his name. We've lived there for four and a half years now. I knew his name at one time, but I never speak to him or his wife or his daughter I know my other neighbors, but I don't know him. So I think it's a bigger deal that I don't know my neighbor than it is for him to water when it's not his day. And so maybe it is for me to come down from my roof and to hobble on over next door and to meet my neighbor and to express the grace and love and mercy of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Not by condemning or pointing out faults, but just by loving and being a good neighbor. I think that's what Paul and Peter began to understand. Peter was there when Jesus said, Now go to all the nations and teach them about me. And yet still... He needed that vision. Maybe this vision can speak to us as well. When we see someone who we think is not worthy of the love of God, when we condemn someone for an action, for a political view, because they don't have the same educational standard as we do, because they're from somewhere else, because their economic situation is different, because their sexuality is different, whatever it is, when we see someone and we exclude them from the grace of God, may this vision come to mind. And may God's words, can anything I create be unworthy, ring in our ears. I need to go next door. And reconnect with my neighbor. Maybe there's someone that you need to do the same.